Well, today we begin a six-week survey of the book of Revelation. These passages have been assigned for us by the lectionary, and they are intended to be specific to the season of Eastertide, that is, the 50 days of Easter. Just like Christmas is actually a 12-day celebration, the 12 days of Christmas, Easter is actually 50 days long. And so the church calendar encourages us to reflect upon the resurrection for an extended period of time, which, which is what the resurrection deserves, right? After all, if we're going to mark our faces with ash and then spend 40 days fasting and repenting, we should be spending at least that much time celebrating the joy and victory of new life in Christ. Jesus has established the kingdom of God and initiated a new creation, and these six weeks in the book of Revelation provide, provide us with an opportunity to explore what that really means. What does it mean that the kingdom of God has been established in Christ? What does it mean that the new creation has begun in Christ? But the book of Revelation is intimidating, right? It's notoriously difficult to interpret. And it's the source of major disagreement between Christians, even between godly and humble and extremely gifted scholars. But I think one of the primary reasons we find the book of Revelation so intimidating is that we assume that it's unlike any other book of the Bible. So the first thing I want to say is this, that the first thing I want to clarify is this. This book is not an anomaly. It belongs within the Bible, and it can only be properly understood within the context of the rest of the Bible. The author, John, views himself as a prophet operating within a prophetic tradition. This book is saturated with references and allusions um, from virtually every book of the Old Testament. John is not cooking up all this imagery from scratch. He's borrowing much of the imagery from the prophetic tradition that precedes him. So the book of Revelation is not a code waiting to be cracked. The book of Revelation has not been lying dormant for two millennia waiting on 21st century Christians to understand it and apply it to their own situation. And yet it is applicable to the 21st century. We can and we should apply revelation to our own context, but not because we are the primary intended audience. To understand how it's applicable in the 21st century, we must learn to read it within the context of the rest of the Bible, the context within which it was written. Hopefully this will become more clear as we go. Now, the the second thing to clarify is that the book of Revelation was originally written as a letter. For some reason, we don't often consider that. But John wrote this letter to seven real, specific churches, which means that he is writing into a first-century context and that he intends for them to understand what he's writing to them. So, if we think the book of Revelation is ultimately a prophecy about what's happening in the 21st century— if we think the book of Revelation was an enigma to the early Christians, if we think the book of Revelation can only only properly be understood by modern readers, we are forgetting that this was a letter. We're neglecting the fact that this was a letter addressed to 
seven very real churches full of many very real people. Okay, having said all that, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first thing we learn is that this letter is a revelation, a single revelation. And so we don't call it revelations, we call it revelation. The word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which is where we get the English word apocalypse. The word apocalypse has come to mean the end of the world, right? Earthquakes, volcanoes, asteroids, zombies. But by definition, the word simply means to unveil, to reveal. So what does revelation reveal? Well, that answer is twofold. The book of Revelation reveals Jesus to his people, and it also reveals mysteries from Jesus to his people. So Jesus is both the one revealed and the one revealing things. More specifically, the book of Revelation is giving John and his readers a glimpse into the heavenly throne room, into the control center of the universe. They're getting to see what world events look like from the perspective of heaven. So, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Over the next six weeks, I will be making the case that when the authors of the New Testament use the word soon, they actually mean soon. Shortly, presently, in the near future. Most of the book of Revelation was intended to reveal impending things. Jesus is revealing for John, and then John is recording for his contemporaries a warning concerning their immediate future. Of course, again, the the book of Revelation remains relevant and edifying for us. The Bible is full of prophetic literature that remains relevant and edifying for us. The fact that most biblical prophecies have already come to pass does not mean that they are no longer relevant or edifying. That's part of the divine brilliance of Scripture. Revelation wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. Now, unfortunately, it has become necessary to make a defense of this reading that soon means soon. But rather than offering a a full defense of that right now, I'm just going to trust that we all actually want soon to mean soon. If soon means soon, we don't have to do interpretive gymnastics to make the word soon mean something else, like thousands of years from now or always imminent. Nor are we tempted to conclude, as many do, that the authors of the New Testament were simply mistaken when they wrote the word soon. Soon means soon. These things were about to happen. Verse 1, again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. In other words, despite what I said earlier, the author of the book of Revelation is actually none other than Jesus Christ himself. John is just the scribe. John wrote it down. 
but John was merely bearing witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, let's jump ahead to verse 7. It says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. When we read that Jesus is coming with the clouds, I think most of us probably picture Jesus descending out of the sky. But this phrase, coming with the clouds, is actually from chapter 7 of the book of Daniel. And it does not refer to Christ descending. Actually, it refers to Christ ascending. Daniel 7, verse 13. Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So according to Daniel 7, the Son of Man is going to ascend into the presence of the Ancient of Days in order to receive the kingdom. That's what it means that Jesus is coming with the clouds. The Son of Man is ascending into heaven in order to receive the kingdom from the Ancient of Days. However, John begins to describe the physical appearance of Jesus, and things get a bit confusing. That's because John describes the physical appearance of Jesus by again alluding to Daniel chapter 7, but the description of Jesus does not match the description of the Son of Man. The description of Jesus matches the description of the Ancient of Days. So which is it? Is Jesus the Son of Man? Or is Jesus the Ancient of Days? Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, that is, in the midst of the churches, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the the sun shining in full strength. That's Revelation chapter 1. Now, Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. John sees white hair, white like snow, white like wool. Flames of fire, light pouring out of his face, surrounded by thousands of worshiping servants. John looks at Jesus, and he sees the Ancient of Days. So again, which is it? Is Jesus the Son of Man who receives the kingdom from the Ancient of Days? Or is Jesus the Ancient of Days who bestows the kingdom to the Son of Man? Because he's called the Son of Man, but he looks like the Ancient of Days. Now, I'm going to answer that question in a moment. First, let's jump back to verse 10. It says that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
And he heard behind him a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. It says John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The entire book of Revelation takes place within the context of corporate worship on a Sunday. In fact, believe it or not, not, if we were to zoom out and look at the flow of the book of Revelation, we could see that it corresponds to each element within our liturgy. The way we worship on Sunday is thus not arbitrary. But for now, I want to talk about this phrase, in the Spirit. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, because this phrase provides another key to interpreting Revelation. It occurs four times throughout the course of the book, and each time it introduces a new vision. So the basic structure of Revelation is marked out by four instances of this phrase, in the Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Chapter 4, verse 2, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne in heaven. Chapter 17, verse 3, He carried me away in the Spirit into a wilderness. Chapter 21, verse 10, He carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain. This is going to be very important to remember at, over the next few weeks, and, and I will remind us of this as we, as we move along. Um, now, as we come to the end of chapter 1, Jesus has pretty much been revealed, which is strange. If this book is about the revealing of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is revealed in chapter 1, then what's the rest of the book about? Well, answering that question takes us back to that question from earlier. Is Jesus the Son of Man who receives the kingdom, or is Jesus the Ancient of Days who bestows the kingdom? And as you might have guessed, the answer is yes. Jesus is both. He receives the kingdom as the Son of Man, and then he bestows the kingdom as the Ancient of Days. And so the question then becomes... Who receives the kingdom from Jesus? And that is what the rest of the book is about. Revelation ends with a coronation. But it's not the coronation of Jesus. The coronation of Jesus has already happened. Astonishingly, the coronation at the end of Revelation is the coronation of the saints. It's the coronation of the bride and queen of Christ. And so Jesus is given the kingdom as the Son of Man, but as the Ancient of Days, Jesus also gives the kingdom to his bride. Having received the kingdom, Jesus invites his bride to rule and to reign alongside him. Revelation is fundamentally about the exaltation of the bride of Christ. It's fundamentally about the enthronement of the saints. And so the narrative arc of Revelation is actually the narrative arc of Scripture. It moves from male to female, from Adam to Eve, from the Son of Man to the Bride of Christ, from glory to greater glory. And so the message, the message of Revelation is not that Jesus is going to win. Jesus has already won. The message of Revelation is that we are going to win. 
The call is to be victorious. The call is to be victorious. But as of chapter 1, we're not yet sure how to achieve that victory. And so, spoiler alert, the victory is achieved through faithfulness unto death, through the sacrifice of the martyrs, and through the songs and prayers of the people of God. These are the things that bring about the collapse of the kingdom of darkness and the establishment of the kingdom of God. Revelation reveals what these things actually accomplish. What does, what does faithfulness actually accomplish? When a martyr is martyred, what does that actually accomplish? What, what do our songs and prayers actually accomplish? Revelation reveals the answer from the perspective of heaven. These things, as feeble as they may seem to us, actually accomplish the coming of the kingdom. In verse 17, John falls at the feet of this Jesus. Looks like the ancient of days. Jesus reaches out and touches him and says, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is why the book of Revelation is perfect for the 50 days of Easter. Jesus is the living one. Though he died, he is alive forevermore and he is sovereign over death. That is every death, your death. And Revelation is about the victory and resurrection of the saints. It's the victory and resurrection of the church, which follows after the victory and resurrection of Christ. Jesus won the victory through death and resurrection, and now his people in the Spirit must follow in his footsteps. It may appear feeble, but the call is to be victorious. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly, in humility. This, this book is intimidating, um, but it says that we are blessed for having opened it and having read it and having considered it. Uh, please show us over the next few weeks what you want us to see. Jesus, we praise you as the great revealer of these glorious things. You are the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, the first and the last, the living one. Holy Spirit, perfect us into the full glory of the bride and queen of Christ and teach us, um, teach us faithfulness. Faithfulness all the way down. Faithfulness unto death. And lead us to victory in the footsteps of our Savior. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.